Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 guten tag, sie lieb dich, gimmit, mir deine hand, and willkommen to another bonus episode of Paul or Nothing. And I know the next words you were supposed to be hearing were about how I'm going to be reviewing Pipes of Peace, and I assure you folks that that episode is meant to come out, but in the interim, we are here to do another album review, but not one that we haven't heard before. No, we are going to be reviewing the wonderfully Beatletastic 50th anniversary, super deluxe, mega remastered, super duper, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, anniversary release. At the time of recording, we are in 2019, and that means it has been 50 fucking years since university students and stoners have been adorning their walls with the poster of Abbey Road. A lot has happened in the interim, and now, 50 years later, it has actually gotten to the number one spot here in the UK. But before we can take ourselves out to look at the Queen, I want to take a quick moment to thank you, the listeners, you, the Patreon supporters, because without you wonderful people in Pepperland, this show would simply not be worth doing. Now, if you want to join the likes of Matt Phillips, who has been on this show twice now, then please check out and support the Patreon, all the links down below. We're not going to do a long-winded one today. My guest today, actually, who is going to be helping me discuss Abbey Road, is part of a ever-widening spider of network with other podcasters. And I'm not going to lie, I actually wanted this guy on my show purely because whilst he was guesting on my best friend's podcast, Alpha Metallica, and he was asked what other podcasts he listens to, and this wasn't pre-designed, this wasn't a, a bit or a skit, he actually mentioned this show. And what better introduction can I give to someone than that? Ladies and gentlemen, the host of the Deep Purple podcast, Nathan, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, dude, it is a pleasure finding that little consortium of like-minded podcasts, like the Sabbath Bloody Podcast and all, and all and all of those guys. It's a really fun community. I want to have you all on, as long as you like McCartney and or Beatles. And I'm glad that we've got such a gargantuan topic today, really, even though we don't actually have physically much to cover. Um, but before we go on to Abbey Road, I just want to ask you a couple of things about your show, really. Sure. Where was the first kernel of an idea for a Deep Purple podcast? Was it because there wasn't one, or do you have competition? I was, uh, well, it, there wasn't one, uh, but the, the kernel of the idea actually popped in my head before podcasts even existed. And uh, the thing about Deep Purple is there's this, what's referred to as kind of the Deep Purple extended family tree. <laughs> there's been so many people that have been in Deep Purple and then branched off into other projects, and there's actually a you know, physical map of that tree that's on a deep purple website somewhere. But there, there's so many different people involved in so many side projects that, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I thought, wow, this would be a great, this could be like a weekly radio program to just pick up like obscure tracks or little things from these side projects and play them and talk about the history behind them and which different players are on them. And I've been thinking about that for years and years. And when I started to kind of discover some of these single band podcasts and deep dive podcasts, I started thinking, well, why should you? Know, well, my first thought was I would like to listen to one about Deep Purple. And yeah. I searched and there wasn't one. So I said, well, crap, I guess I got to do it then. So I called up my buddy who kind of got me into Deep Purple and we started just 
you know, if for no, no other reason, just meeting up every week to, to chit chat about the band and just put it out there and see if anyone was interested. And it turns out a lot of people are. Oh, dude, I totally get that. I mean, one of the only ways that I can keep Tom Kui as a friend is by trapping him in podcasts because <laughs> that that guy is just so fucking prolific that I'm just waiting for the for the day that he just turns to me and goes, Sam, I want a divorce. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> you're both, I mean, you're both very prolific. You both have a lot going on. Oh, no, but, like, he's he's definitely more the Woody Allen of podcasts. Like, he can put out 50 <laughs> a day, and they're still pretty all right. Like, I don't, know, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. What is this little um, network you've got going then, like, with, like, Leonard Reek and Skidder? Oh, fuck. No, so many podcasts in this group, I can't say. Sabbath bloody podcast, Leonard Reconsidered, and all of you guys. You've got, like, a little network going on? What's What's all that? So uh, th- this guy Terry T Bone Mathley, he does this uh, this radio show twice a week and and goes through does great topics. His most recent ones that were pretty cool was he did two in a row I think that were cover originals and then the cover of the original and where you would know the cover better. Mm. So listening to that episode, it's like three hours long and you're like, wow, I never knew that that song was a cover. I never I never heard the original. It was really interesting. So he does a lot of deep dive topics like that and he kind of came up with the chris and us the deep dive podcast network i guess and it kind of stuck <laughs> no because like every day on twitter i seem to find some some sort of post where someone's listing their favorite deep dive ones and that and, and that just happened the, the other day and i was like someone like you know number seven at mccartney pod and i was like ah someone someone put me on this uh, Mount Rushmore of other much better podcasts. Like I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I think we were both we were both fortunate enough to be named in that one. I think that was kind of cool. Oh, like so, so many people say to me, "Oh, how do you start a podcast?" And it's so much of a dirty secret that it's actually easy to learn, hard to master. That's what I say. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of held me back for a while. I was just like, "Well, I don't really." I mean, I'm a pretty technologically savvy kind of guy, so. And I've done, you know, web design for years and I've, I'm, I have a web server. So, but I just never really knew, like, how do you even get on a podcast? And yeah, like you said, I, I did it and I was like, well, I, that was really easy. I probably should have done that years ago. What? I have to pay a company to put this online for a year? What? You know, or, <laughs> what? I can't just make giant B and P sounds into the, into the microphone really close without a mouth guard. <laughs> you know, these, these are things you have to learn the hard way, you know? <laughs> That's for sure. Going back to Deep Purple, though, and going back to my friend Tom, he has never forgiven me for, for the fact that I've never even dipped a toe into Deep Purple. I know Smoke on the Water. We all know Smoke on the Water. But what would be your recommendation for like an introductory Deep Purple album or compilation? Well, the timing is actually perfect. And I think it's from someone specifically like you with a with a strong Beatles background the episodes that we're going to be recording next and we'll be we'll have four episodes in November about this one album called the butterfly ball mm. and that was Roger Glover the bass player for deep purple shortly after he left the band was given this project to write a uh, are you familiar with the book the butterfly ball I'm gonna say no Okay, so it's a children's book by Alan Aldridge, who you may be familiar with, who did the Beatles illustrated lyrics. Of course, yeah. And he did this illustrated children's book about all of these. It's based on a poem from like the 1800s, and it's based on all the animals in the forest sort of putting aside their differences for a day and being friends and having this big ball and this feast, which sounds like kind of a silly little kid's thing. 
but he was tasked with the idea of creating an album around it, a concept album from with which they would they would take that and build an animated children's uh, musical. Oh no, it. this is sounding an awful lot like the Bruce McMouse show. Oh dear. <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> this is sounding very Rupert the Bear-esque already. Well, it's um, uh, probably a similar idea, but the, the animated show never got made. Of course, uh, it, the didn't. Animated of course it didn't. The <laughs> movie never got made. Usually they don't. But uh, the, the music for this is very Beatles-inspired, some songs more than others. And it, it was, I think it would be a great bridge for someone that's a Beatles fan I think you would enjoy this album it's a concept album every song pretty much has a different singer on it playing a different mm. character and the first two episodes we're going to be doing on the album are just one episode just talking about the backgrounds of all the musicians involved the second one's going to be just talking about the backgrounds of all the singers involved then we're going to get into the album because there's so much to cover in this album it's it's really deep and it's a great it's a great album it's it's very reminiscent to me of the medley at the end of abbey road where all the songs just kind of start and stop and blend together and all these different characters are coming in and out and it's definitely not for everyone and i think most diehard deep purple fans wouldn't like it because it's not particularly heavy mm. it's not particularly rocking but it is very melodic and and very interesting and, and i'm i'm really excited to get into that album well that was a fucking excellent segue you did there my friend uh bringing us back onto abbey road we are going to stay. On, we are going to stay on topic. Um, I've I've been plagued by digressions on my last few few, few episodes. Yeah, we um, all are. <laughs> Nathan, I'm going to boldly assume that you've heard Abbey Road at some point before the 50th anniversary Super Duper Deluxe Edition. I mean, we should never assume it'll make an ass out of you and me. But I'm going to assume you've listened to it, right? Um, maybe more than any other album in my life. Oh my god! Okay, so when did you first come across <laughs> Abbey Road? Was it an early find in your Beatledom, or did you come across it like in order? My first exposure to it was actually when I was five for Christmas. In my stocking, I got a little cassette called The Beatles' 20 Greatest Hits. Mm. And I remember very distinctly feeling kind of disappointed, like, oh, <laughs> like, what's this? What's this crap? And I, I, I kind of put it aside for a while. And then one day, I, for whatever reason, I played it. And the first song on that, for some odd reason, was Come Together. Mm. Um, I don't know why they started with that one, but it's a weird... I've kind of looked on and off to see if I could get a copy of this and rebuild a playlist to, to do it or whatever. So, But I listened to this nonstop, so I be, I got very familiar with that, and, and, and I got very into it, and my dad had all of the original Beatles albums, and he had the vinyl for Abbey Road, so we would listen to that, and, and that's really... And I actually have it right behind me. He's given it to me. So I've listened to... I listened to it from that and then branched out. And then in my early, you know, when I was 12 or 13 and started to get into music a little bit more, I, I eventually repurchased them all on CD. And, mm. and Abbey Road has always been one of my top five albums of all time. Oh, I can't wait till there's a new media format file for me to buy all of the Beatles albums <laughs> again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so exciting to spend money on all the same stuff again. Download the Beatles directly into your brain. Oh. Well, that's how you know you're really in love with something when when you're you don't care how many times they put it out. You just you you love it so much you just want to buy it again, even if it doesn't change your life in any way. And that's kind of how I felt about this. So I was I'm. 
I think I'm like one of the uh, younger Beatle podcasters out there, so I've got quite quite a unique take on how I came across the music. I was totally a digital Beatle guy until about six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And my dad had an iPod Classic. Kids today won't, won't even know what an iPod Classic is. It was, <laughs> it was a brick. It was a giant thing. And it could hold... It was, it was something like it, it could hold a million Encyclopedia Britannicas. Like, the memory on it was phenomenal. And he had all of Abbey Road, but not in any particular order. Oh. So, like, the medley was all jumbled up and stuff and mixed in with all other Beatles songs. So, for me... Eleanor Rigby goes into She Came Through the Bathroom Window. Like, like that's just how those songs flow. And that was my first experience to it. Then it goes into Glass Onion. Then it goes into Don't Let Me Down. And, like, that's my personal playlist in my head. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then Abbey Road was one of the first vinyl wanker purchases I ever made. <laughs> and rather than listening to it, I was like, oh, I just want to get the, the, the album cover and blue tack it on my wall so I look cool. Right, right. And... I was listening to a, a podcast recently. I didn't realise that Her Majesty was a hidden track until very recently. Uh, I think that might have been my first hidden track of all time, actually. It, it might have been the first hidden track of all time, right? Like, with the Beatles, there's so much homework to do. And it's the only homework that's ever really been fun for me. Like, I need to know all of this stuff. And thankfully, Abbey Road's got so much context to it, because it's, you know, it's the end of... The- the story, the end of the, of the narrative. And it just builds this perfect zenith. And then, bah, and then you know, the universe explodes and you think everything's been destroyed. But no, the universe starts all over again with their solo careers. So mm-hmm. I've never been as mournful towards Abbey Road as a lot of people have. I think it's more of a joyous funeral than like a kind of maudlin uh, march, like uh, Let It Be, Get Back was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Abbey Road is in your top albums is it is it your favorite Beatle album or is it just in your top three uh i always kind of go back i I would say it's probably my favorite beatles album and and what a great way you can understand why people lamented the end of the beatles so much to just leave them leave everyone wanting more because can you think of a band that ever had their arguably their best album as their last album Oh, man, I've been getting into talking heads. And after speaking in tongues, it's such a steep drop off. I was so disappointed. I was like, ah, oh, you bastards. I thought I was going to have another <laughs> podcast here. <laughs> well, it's like that with most, most bands. Eventually they and it's, it's all it's also just incredible to think of what they did in eight years. It's such a short amount of time. I mean, just talking about just the studio stuff, of course, oh, but. Oh. How much they progressed from, if you listen to the beginning of Please Please Me and the end of Abbey Road, but just how much the world changed, how much music changed, how much production changed, songwriting, and they were just at the center of all of it. What I love about Beatles progression is that you can look at it on a very surface level, like, oh yeah, let's go from Chains to Tomorrow Never Knows, and there's literally a genre difference. But just the production level of Abbey Road is incredible. It sounds like it came out in 2013, even without all the remasters and re-releases. They really hit the nail on the head. And I don't think Paul himself, even with George Martin, ever created an album that sounds as good and as consistent as Abbey Road does. It's almost like they went into the future and brought it back. I'm not sure if I could put it in my top three, though. I think my newfound appreciation for A Hard Day's Night has now edged it out of the top three. 
and now oh, it's really? okay. yeah hard, dude go back and listen to a hard day's night man there's there's not a dud track on it there's not um there's not a sun king on a hard day's night <laughs> cannot stand that one ruins the medley for me <laughs> honestly it ruins the medley i skip it every time just straight into mean mr mustard oh real wow very strong feelings about sun king yeah like i, I, I find myself like looking at my watch i'm like come on we've just had because like come on can this Speed things up, guys. <laughs> Thoughts on the cover? Favorite Beatles album cover? You know, like the guys walking across the road? I mean, the Beatles. It's the Beatles had so many iconic album covers. I mean, they've uh, there aren't many that aren't iconic, um, but that <laughs> one is probably the most iconic album cover and it's you know ruined that street for anyone that wants to drive down it and <laughs> it's it's quite a it's you know it's couldn't be more simple but it's so iconic everyone i mean it's been referenced and parodied and uh millions of times it's just it's a great album cover i mean that's the thing the simpsons have only parodied sergeant pepper and abbey road you're not gonna. You're not gonna see the Simpsons parroting Beatles for sale. You know? <laughs> I could see them doing Hard Day's Night, or you know, a lot of people have done the uh, that kind of feeling of in a, in a parody. But um, yeah, that's definitely to me the Abbey Road album cover is pretty incredible. As George Harrison famously said in The Simpsons, "It's been done." <laughs> exactly. Now let's talk about this reissue. A few years ago, we had the Sergeant Pepper anniversary. I got to talk to the Holly Hobbs about that. That, that was that's still our our most downloaded episode for some reason. No idea oh. why. Well, you put Sergeant Pepper in there, people are going to search for it and listen for sure. Oh yeah, and I think he might. Uh, well, he actually on his YouTube channel made a uh, a trailer for this podcast. Shockingly, although he's actually gone on since to like blow up on YouTube. I've, I've been trying to get him back on the show, but. You know, he's just he's 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 transcended to that next level now. <laughs> so yeah, we had we had Pepper, we've had the White Album, we haven't had a Magical Mystery Tour anniversary. They don't see that as a proper album, clearly. And on Pepper, we had a lot of focus in the advertising about there are going to be some remixes on this. There are going to be some stuff you've never heard before, and people were were losing their minds. And we had loads yeah. of early <laughs> demos and early takes. And I guess because it was the first fiftieth anniversary. There was a lot of hype around it. Then we had the White Album, which, the more I think about it, comparing it to Abbey Road, was actually chock-a-block full of stuff. We had the Isha demos. We had loads of songs. That we, you know, we, we finally had Not Guilty on Spotify. I never thought I was going to hear Not Guilty on Spotify. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've always really dug that track. How was that not on the album? Seriously, it's yeah, it's it's crazy when you see like uh, uh, Wild Honey Pie made it, but that one didn't. <laughs> Wild Honey Pie, I defend that one because I like an underdog story. I like well, you know, it's short. It's more like an interlude, really. Like to call it a song is almost not fair, but to have a little short, like what is it, a minute and a half? It's 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 fine, but it, it's weird that they cram that in there in Revolution Number no. Nine and then leave off Not Guilty. Yeah, like if it was a Paul McCartney album. It would be called Link, wouldn't it? It would just, you know, from like one <laughs> one song to to another. Have you heard Revolution Take Twenty? That should have been on the album as well. Yes, I'm trying to think. I I I got that album as soon as it came out, and I listened to it, and I was really impressed with the alternate takes. And the White Album had so much. They recorded so much more material that they could work with and release out there, and and they were 
that was at the peak of their output. They were just had so many songs. It's cra- it was crazy. Oh yeah. Um, like if you had a time machine, yeah, go back and kill Hitler. Go see the dinosaurs. My, my go, go go back and tell the Beatles just to make demos for everything, mm-hmm. because that's something we're going to talk talk about now in terms of new content. And I've got this sneaking feeling that the band knew they were going to be breaking up. They don't want to particularly demo all of these songs in front of the lads. You know, Paul tried backseat in my car in Let It Be. That didn't go anywhere. He doesn't bring it back here. John tried. What's the new Mary Jane? We don't see it here again. George with All Things Must Pass and stuff. And as I'm going through this re-release, and yes, you know, you do get more of the demos and alternative takes if you buy the physical media. But in terms of what was just available in the general release, I'm a little bit let down, shall we say. Not anything too earth-shattering. It was nice to get early cuts of, like, The Ballad of John and Yoko and Old Brown Shoe and Ringo fucking up during Octopus's Garden. (laughs) Everyone's been, like, going, oh, Billy Preston on that amazing version of I Want You, She's So Heavy. I thought it was fine. I I thought it was okay. Um... But comparing it to Pepper and the White Album, I'm a little concerned about a lack of content on this release. Like, that's that's my thesis statement going into this episode. Well, I think they weren't writing as much together, and they were just kind of bringing things to each other, and I, I just don't think they had as much material. I mean, that's pretty much why I love the medley. I, I think it's great. I know mm. some people aren't as big a fan of it, but I, I think that's the reason they had the medley, right? Is because they had all these kind of bits and pieces and they strung them together. So they, they weren't sitting on as much material as they were for Pepper or the White Album. Yeah. Oh, I just want to hear everything. I'm sorry, Apple. I know that <laughs> I, I know that you're, you're going to drip feed it us over the next 12 releases, but <laughs> it doesn't make sense why every single take of every single Beatles song isn't just commercially available online and for free for us to do with what we want. I know that that's a ridiculous business move and that there are people <laughs> scoffing and spitting out their, their soda or pop, depending on what side of the pond they're on. But I am getting a bit bored as a young man in the modern world of having physical media restrictions. I find it almost insulting that I can't listen to Revolution Take 20 legally. I have to find a bootleg online. It's like, come on, don't force me into being a criminal. Just legalize all these Beatles songs so I don't have to do criminal things because I'm going to listen to them anyway, you know. Well, this stuff should be in the public domain. I mean, it's I understand that the Beatles is the is now a brand and it's it's people wanting to hold on to things. But I mean, they've made their money. It's part of culture now. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't made your money in 50 years, like, isn't that enough Like to just to release it and say, you know what, it's it belongs to everyone now. Yeah, it's like when Turner like made all of his paintings available to the British public. That is legacy. That really is legacy. Right, let's talk about what was supposed to have been sold, though. Not just new content. You know, No one bought this just to hear McCartney's demo of Goodbye or Come and Get It. <laughs> we wanted to hear new Abbey Road. Abbey Road Mark 3.5 now is this. We've had like the 2009 remasters and stuff like that. Are you much of a an audiophile? Can you pick up on different audio tracks and different mixes of a of a of a, of a song, or or do you just naturally go, "Oh, that's a bit different." You know, my background is in. I have a studio in my house now. I've I owned a recording studio in the past. I've recorded with bands. I've been in bands, so I've 
my that is my background. That being said, I'm not like a huge audiophile necessarily. I'm really more into the songwriting and you know what that brings to mm-hmm. uh, you, you know just the, just the feeling and the songwriting behind something. Not so much of having to have everything be this pure lossless format and all that. Uh, so, but no, knowing an album as well as I know this album and listening to it, I can tend to key in on some of the differences because they'll be a little more obvious to me. But that being said, I'm like most people, I'm listening to stuff on my long commute to and from work mm-hmm. on my, over my Bluetooth. I'm listening to it on my, my earbuds as I'm washing the dishes. I'm, I don't have a ton of time with my family and everything to just sit down in front of some, in front of my nice studio monitor speakers here and actually just listen to something. <laughs> I get the feeling that like McCartney and Giles Martin and Ringo are just sat there at home going, what do you not mean? Everyone doesn't have a mega super home stereo <laughs> system that is vertical behind them and, you know, and below them. I thought everyone had one of them. <laughs> it's like, guys, we guys, we don't care. We I don't care about that. Like, I'm poor. Most Beatle fans, I know most Beatle fans are at least going to be at an age where they've got disposable income, but I'm literally the only Beatle fan on earth who is not spending money on this stuff. I'm just waiting for it to come out on Spotify, listening to it on a crap pair of earphones, then on a good pair of earphones, and then on my little Bluetooth speaker, like you say. And well, I don't think it's even about the, yeah. it's not even, to me, it's not about the, the money or the equipment. It's about, the, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to just sit there and listen and focus to just listening. I wish I did. It sounds great. But, you know, the full-time job, three kids and everything going on, I'm I'm listening to music when I'm traveling or doing chores. I'm not necessarily sitting and listening to it. Oh, yeah. And, like, I get that with new music as well. It's like, I could check out Billie Eilish or I need to go and re-listen to Wings Wildlife a 50th time just to make sure that all of my opinions <laughs> are correct. <laughs> I, you know, I need to make sure that Wings at the speed of sound seems just as it did yesterday because something, <laughs> something might have happened. You never know. You never know. You never know. I'm scared to go into a Mandela Effect universe where, like, you know, Wings are good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, do you remember when Red Rose Speedway wasn't rubbish? I'm like, what, 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 what? <laughs> this what? is commonly accepted now. Smoke on the Water is an obscure Deep Purple song. What universe am I in? <laughs> exactly. Could you imagine coming out on stage and no one's heard? Ow, 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 ow. Like, oh. play your old stuff. <laughs> How far in, into their career is that? Because, like, I'm not going to call them a one hit wonder, but that's the track that they are most synonymously known with to the general public. Is that, like, early on in their career, mid or? I mean, for, for, if you take into, account, uh, take into account the 50 years they've been together, it was about three years three or four years into their band being around so but they they started off with a different singer and bass player who if you haven't if you're not familiar with deep purple you've probably never heard of rod evans and nick simper they were around they did three albums together in 18 months and so this was in this was in 68 and 69 um and talk, you were talking about how great this album sounds. And to me, I always compare it to things that were released at that time. So, you know, I if you listen to the first two, three Deep Purple albums, they sound horrible compared <laughs> to Abbey Road. And if you listen to, you know, the very early Pink Floyd or anything around that time, the production, like you said, George Martin and every and the Beatles were just leagues beyond anyone else 
in what they were releasing and how it sounded and how well put together it was. So, so anyway, they had, they had this original lineup. They eventually got rid of the singer and the bass player and got an Ian Gillen and Roger Glover, who mm. if you have, if you're not familiar with Deep Purple, you probably have heard of. And they, that lineup did, uh, four albums the first three and on the third album was smoke on the water going back to the production of abbey road it does sound like uh, almost an easy catch-all saying oh yeah abbey road is really well produced but what i love is how the even the name of the album itself is almost a dedication to the fact that if they hadn't have had abbey road studios if they hadn't had the physical building and that equipment they might have just been another trogs or another the kinks or anything like that there could have been another one of those rock and roll bands from the time but agro studios itself which apparently is still very unchanged from how the beatles had it like it still pretty much looks exactly the same bar the equipment like that building itself is such an important part of the story as well and it's so great for them to tip their cap to it a friend of mine she posted something on Instagram. This is a few years ago, three or four years ago. She went to Abbey Road with her uncle who knew somebody and was able to get like a great tour of Abbey Road. And she posted a video of him going over to the piano and playing the a day in the life chord, you know, the chord that lasts forever on the mm. same exact piano in Abbey Road. And it, it was like, it, it chills. I got chills just listening to it on a crappy iPhone speaker, on an Instagram video. It it was it still sounded like wow that that's the piano. That's it's incredible. And I, I have no idea how she was able to organize that. I told her if she's ever able to do it again, please let me know. But um, yeah, it's it's that that studio. There's so much history behind it, and 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 like you said, it was the best equipped studio around at the time. Did the Instagram video then go to? Never to see any other way. Never to see any other way. <laughs> you hear the air conditioner kick on. Uh, didn't do any of that, unfortunately. But it, it was very impressive. I, I wish I could find it. It's probably so old I'll never find it. Just scroll forever. I remember that I was at university once and I was stoned completely out of my mind. And I didn't know about that bit at the end. I kind of just oh knew. man. I'd always, <laughs> I'd always like taken the needle off or gone to the next song, and I was just chilling out there listening to the. V- of the needle v- v- and then it came on and i swear it was like i'd taken acid i fell through the floor it was it was like i was in yellow submarine paul mccartney was turning into frankenstein next to me it was terrifying oh, absolutely man. scary not as scary as the time my one of my best friend's dad was listening to have you heard of elbow kind of a lo-fi british band over the past few years here they I have not they have a song called starlings and the first 20 seconds is silence so he okay. cra- he cranks up his radio to the loudest setting, and then the opening chord is one of the loudest sounds ever, <laughs> and it's and now that's been compounded by by the him turning up the radio, and like putting his ear whilst driving near the speaker. He nearly swerved off the road and crashed. He nearly. I, actually... <laughs> I could believe it. Oh. I, my, when my dad was telling me about the um, P- Paul is dead rumors when I was a kid, and so we we got. Uh, magical mystery tour and put it on the turntable and it was very late at night and we were in like it was dark and he he's he's you know the the end of strawberry fields forever is very creepy with that like mellotron and it's mm. it still kind of creeps me out to this day and he was trying to crank it up for me and on the original record 
the way it's EQ'd, it's very hard to hear the I buried Paul sort of thing. Mm. And so he was cranking it up and we were trying to listen. And then Penny Lane came on like full volume (laughs) and scared the crap out of both of us. So now like the beginning of Penny Lane and the ending of Strawberry Fields to this day kind of gets me a little on edge. It's so immediate as well. Penny Lane. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not a smooth transition. Mums and dads are so key in a young Beatle fan's life. Like <coughs> my dad with my i with that iPod and the fact that he gave me Band on the Run and Sergeant Pepper original pressings. He actually stole his copy of Sergeant Pepper from a neighbour. Actually, I found out many years <laughs> later because, uh, like, it says like to Doris on it. <laughs> I'm like, Doris. Yeah, I'd lo- I'd love to know where she is now. She's probably still miffed. She's, pro- <laughs> she's probably listening to this to this show right now. Right That's now. what happened to it. That's what happened. And then my mum always would tell me about how my nan, she would, rather than just swapping singles, she would just put different singles on top of each other and then just flick, oh, yep. and, and then just yep. flick them off, probably scratching them to hell. You know, uh, not, a, not probably great for a, those, those record purists are probably not happy to hear that. Oh no, but my grand would have come from the generation of, ah, you don't, you don't need to keep the piece of paper that comes with it. You just chuck that away. <laughs> that'll have no intrinsic value in 50 years time on ebay whatever that is <laughs> uh, rather famously my great granddad said that the beatles would never make it and yet here i am doing a paul mccartney podcast so that's quite, that's, that's quite serendipitous really my great uncle would always give me a, a hard time i don't know if he was serious or not but I, when i was a teenager and was really into the beatles and He'd say, there's no way they wrote all those songs. They had ghostwriters and it would get me really upset. I think he was just doing it to get a rise out of me. But it was the point was taken that, you know, even someone from his generation thought that there's no way these four guys from Liverpool could write so many incredible songs, which is fair is a fair observation. Uh, Your uncle's probably the same guy who says that Purdy did a bunch of the early Ringo drumming tracks as well. You know, (laughs) I think that's Purdy that says it. (laughs) can you name any of them, Purdy? Ah, oh, you know, the one that says love in it. Okay, thank, <laughs> uh, thanks. You're not totally lying for to like promote your new book or anything, no? What, what a character. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'd like to get him and the lady who does the Paul is Dead books on the show. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I, I have thought about having her on the show, and then I showed a few of my brain trust the list of questions that I, that I had prepared. Uh, <laughs> Because I was in two minds about it, and they went, Sam, this isn't an interview, this is just you attacking someone verbally on air. And I was like, but that's kind of what I want to do with the Paul is dead thing. Well, I mean, it's hard not to, I mean, how do you not poke holes in, in that? Like, there, it, it, fall, it falls apart immediately. The fact that that's still even a thing <laughs> is incredible. It, it falls apart once you start asking any questions. So it, it would it'd be hard to not make that look like an attack. But the biggest problem for me with it is the idea that he didn't write any good songs after 66. <laughs> yeah, I think the the, the the lookalike is doing a pretty good job. I think he's got the a better catalogue than the original Paul McCartney at this point. Yeah, I mean, like, everyone's favourite Paul McCartney bass line isn't even a Beatles bass line. It's silly love songs, so, you know... Uh, maybe I'm amazed. Hey Jude, let it be. Crap songs, apparent, apparently rubbish songs. <laughs> yeah, just just any old any old guy that looks like Paul McCartney could write these. Yeah, like the fact that they found someone who looked like him 
and could learn to play the bass in a month. And oh, <laughs> yeah, he had a he had a recording career for four years as Paul McCartney, and then he went on for an additional forty six years as the lookalike, uh, achieving international success. Yeah, sure. Surely the fake Paul has spent more time as Paul now than the real Paul ever did. A lot more, yeah. <laughs> Who is the real Paul? Only Abe, the big fat drummer, knows the truth. Only Abe knows. <laughs> Maybe Rusty it's, Anderson can give us some clues in the in in the next live show. Who knows? It, it's pretty ridiculous. And the funny thing about all the oh, they put clues like like they wanted to keep this a secret, but they put all these clues in all the songs. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Well, the like, bit that annoys me the license is, plate says twenty eight if. Like, why would they do that? Like the. Wouldn't they want to keep this a secret if it was true? The worst Illuminati handler was assigned to the Paul is dead phenomena. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, put the rookie on that case. It's not that important. If people figure it out, who cares? Oh, uh, uh, Dark Lord of Evil. Yes. Um, they put more clues on the album cover. Dead pile. Oh, sorry, sir. <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. I still maintain that a goofball comedy produced by Seth rogan and bradley cooper would be the best way to do a kind of paul is dead thing you know that would be great i mean instead of you know they did yesterday now i think it's time to to, to bring up the you know how they're actually keeping the secret and the forces of evil behind it you'd never be able to reveal the reason why it happens because any film that reveals a reason why something happens is always a letdown Oh, it's always a letdown. Like, finding yeah. out why the Beatles have to go to Pepperland. Oh, don't focus on that, because it's going to be rubbish. Just get them to Pepperland. <laughs> exactly. And we'll sort it out when we get there. It's like, let's explain through science why all of this magical stuff happens. Medi the Medichlorians of Beetledom, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Oh, so far, you've gotten every, every one of my nerdy references, so we're doing very well so far. <laughs> well... Unfortunately, Star Wars is uh, something I'm also a little well-versed in <laughs> as far as the early stuff. Oh, God. Are you looking forward to JJ's new film? Are you looking forward oh, to yeah. it? I'm, I'm look I've, 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 I've gone the whole game. I grew up with the movies. was very, you know, vocally uh, upset about the prequels. And I've just kind of come full circle to just, I don't care anymore. I just accept it. I, I go to them and I just try to have fun. I'm not going to just sit there and dissect everything anymore. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, it'll be a fun movie. I'm sure I, I'm just, I'm just not as invested as I was in, you know, when the Phantom Menace came out and kind of destroyed me. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be like Pirates of the Caribbean five when we get a cameo of Paul McCartney as a pirate. I mean, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that level. But like, maybe we'll see, you know, uh, Ringo as one of the Knights of Ren or something like. That. <laughs> I thought the Knights of Ren were a little younger, but hey, you never know. <laughs> and then you know, they're, they're just terrible Beatles puns while he's like swinging at Ray with an axe. Brilliant. <laughs> I guess it's good night, Vienna. You know. <laughs> and then she just brutally stabs him. Now I'm getting very excited about this movie if this yeah, happens. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, do we, do we, I mean, don't bring back Ian McDermott. Get Paul to play Palpatine. <laughs> you know, uh, Kylo, I think you should just don't do it, you know? Yeah. Paul would be an incredible Palpatine. Yeah, I think you'll find uh, the battle station will be fully armed and operational by the time your friends arrive. <laughs> I think we need to start a, a, a GoFundMe for Palpatine. 
Paul Patine. Oh, that's what we're going to call this episode. <laughs> Paul Patine. Paul Patine. Right, back onto Abbey Road. Back Abbey Road, Road, what's that? What, what are we doing here? What differences, if any, did, did you notice, Nathan? Any specific examples? In the, in the remixes? Um, I've heard that the you, listening to it in 5.1 is quite an experience. I haven't done it yet. Um, I would like to check that out. To me, it wasn't it wasn't anything major. Some of the, I, I mean, the stereo effect on the, some songs seemed a little bit more, a little rich. It had a little more richness to it. Mm. I, I honestly spent a little bit more time listening to the special, the special features sort of thing. But I, I think I think Giles Martin does an incredible job. I think the mix is great, and as it was on on the White Album. If anything, it just seemed crisper, more a little more clear. Um, trying to think if there's anything specific i even really noticed on those songs what were you picking up on um there's a lot more drum and bass a lot of people have been calling it the drum and bass version of abbey road um it might have something to do with the fact that the drummer and the bassist are the only living members yeah. of the band <laughs> that they were involved in the mix that might help yeah um i think harrison's guitar should go down a bit what do you think ringo yeah i think uh, john's vocal should be lowered as well you know <laughs> and then and then like oh uh, poor Giles Martin, because I couldn't imagine being a Martin working in the studio with the Beatles and not having the commanding voice of George Martin. Like, settle down now, lads. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> uh, Come Together has about two seconds of extra lyrics slapped on the end of it. Like, the fade out it just comes in a little bit later. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think Octopus's Garden had a bit more... Just felt a bit more zesty, shall we say. It just had a bit more of a... It felt it felt it felt like a, I don't know I mean, like a couple of seconds less long. It just felt like they went through it a bit quicker. I'm not sure why I felt that. And uh, Maxwell Silverhammer. I feel like they brought the anvil that was missing from earlier takes back into it, or at least pushed it back up in the mix. Because like in those very early demos, it's bang bang with a king king right. Yeah, very. It almost sounds like it's clipping. Yeah, and I feel like they've copied and pasted one of those original Mal Evans anvils back in there it, it does somewhat sell sell the song a little a little more but yeah in terms of extra takes the other takes there was one of come together that was quite fun um, i'll i'll listen to anything that has just the beatles talking in the studio for an extra few seconds i thought that was great stuff in um in come together he's also there's that part at the end where he's like ad-libbing he's got uh teenage lyrics teenage got- lyrics he's got hot rod Bali? What does he say? Now, um, did, you I didn't play, even... did you ever play the Beatles rock band? I did, yeah. Yep. Half of the stuff from these re-releases, these 50th anniversary re-releases, is all content that you hear on the loading screens of Beatles rock band. Like, I specifically really? I specifically remember that he's got teenage lyrics, he's got heart rod Bali. Like, I remember that specifically from Beatles Rock Band, that's the very first time I heard it, and it's happened across. Oh, wow. It's happened across Pepper and the White Album as well. So I'd I'd love to know what pool they're they're taking all 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 of that from, or even if they knew that they'd already released that stuff. I'm actually trying to get the lead developer of Beatles, of Beatles Rock Band on the show because I, I, I was just thinking like, what's something Ken Michaels and Robert Rodriguez on their Superior podcasts haven't done? Ooh, <laughs> video games haha i've got them now i've got them that's now. a great i mean that's a great idea I, my wife and i used to play that game quite a bit and whenever people came over we'd get the whole band out and it was that that was a lot of fun dude i took my hofner bass and my wii 
to Spain with with me because <laughs> when, when me and my family we wouldn't have fun holidays. Basically, what my parents would do is they'd work for eleven months a year, work themselves to the bone, and then they'd just want to go to Spain and sit still for a month. <laughs> and basically, they'd just rent a rent a flat from a priest, and it had TV and internet, and we'd just take our whole house with us. And yeah. on and on that holiday, I lent my. Hofner base against the radiator. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily the electronics were fine, but the head, the uh, the clip on head of it, oh, that was that that's that's still in Spain somewhere in a in a slag in a yeah. stuck to a radiator. Oh, I felt so bad. I was like, Paul, I have forsaken thee. <laughs> a, a game that was begging for an infinite number of expansion packs, but. Yeah, just kind of uh, yeah. stopped after that, huh? Yeah, I, like they released like extended Pepper and Abbey Road and um, Rubber Soul ones, but come on. I, I know rights are an issue, but there should have been a Band on the Run one. There should have been a an Imagine one. There should have been an All Things Must Pass one. We don't need a Ringo one. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave that one out. Oh, I do feel sorry for Ringo. He is a punchline and I don't make it any better. I do rip on him. Uh, Ringo's, I mean, I remember as a kid, we would just rip on Ringo ruthlessly, and it's just, it's not warranted. I mean, he's he's great. Who else could have been better in the Beatles? You know, just because someone is a, and that's something I don't think I really understood as a kid, and that I definitely am appreciating even more now, is even though the band that I'm podcasting about happens to contain pretty much nothing but virtuoso musicians. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I have a, a fondness for people that are just in the right spot like just because say neil pert is a better drummer than ringo Starr doesn't mean his music's any better or people want to listen to it anymore it's it's about what you bring to the songs and paul mccartney is to this day one of my favorite bass players of all time he's just even though he it gets talked about quite a lot he i still feel like he's an underrated bass player did you check out that video that I'm sure that the Ringo Starr propaganda company put out where it was like <coughs> musicians appreciate Ringo's drumming and it, of course Dave Grohl's the first guy they interview. Of course it's Dave Grohl who's the a, a, a paid employee of Apple by now, shall we say? Uh, I mean Possibly. I mean he's come out and he's he said that Hey Bulldog's the best Beatles song, which he isn't wrong, but no one says that Hey Bulldog is 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 the best Beatles song. And it's now, always been one of my favorites for sure. Uh, oh, it, it's kind of like my first favorite obscure Beatles song, isn't it? You know, you have like oh yeah, yeah. You have like my first like, ca- like carpentry set, and it's a big plastic thing, <laughs> and a kid bangs a hole into a pre-established you know nail and stuff and stuff like that. It's my first favorite obscure Beatles song. <laughs> then you move on to like you know, then like two years down the line, you find yourself sat next to a, a Beatles fan saying, "Yeah, old brown shoes, pretty good actually," and you think like, "God, my younger self would be cross at me right now." <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, then it just becomes, you kind of go full, you start off listening, like, oh, I like their early stuff. And then you're like, as you mature, you're like, I really like their later stuff where they got more experimental in the studio. And then you like have, like almost have to earn yourself credit. It's like, well, actually the earlier stuff is uh, better than, you know, it's more inventive than you think. And you, you go through all of these circles when you're, when you're talking about Beatles fandom. I think the only really complicated one at the moment is Rubber Soul versus Revolver. That's the real unresolved issue for me. That is a tricky one, I think. Because 
as Harrison or Ringo possibly said, that it could have just been a double album. You could have just released them both together. Not sure if that would have worked, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. One's, one's kind of like a Bob Dylan folk rock album and one is acid. But the quality, it, I think the quality is such a step up even from help. Like the, yes. the, the consistency of quality. There's not a, a taste of honey or a please wait Mr. Postman on here just kind of making you go, oh, okay, let's just wait till they get back to their stuff again. Well, because Rubber Soul, that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the first song they had, or first album they had with no covers on it, right? Hard Day's Night has no covers on it. Hard Day's Night? Oh, okay. Strangely enough, and what, what my, my favourite bit about Hard Day's Night, it's one of those, like, it's like talking about Russian and German tanks during World War Two. You know, Le- Lennon's got like 50 Shermans on that album and Paul's <laughs> got like two Panzers. And yet they're way better than anything Lennon does on that album, just in terms of in terms of quality. Sorry, I've been watching lots of World War Two documentaries lately, so there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. A lot of my references are going to be about Panzerfaust and, st- <laughs> <laughs> and st- stuff like that. That's a good analogy. I hadn't thought of it in that light, but Rubber Soul and Revolver to me are always like I all like I always have to think. Wait, wait, is that song on Rubber Soul or Revolver? And to me, they they're kind of like both of them are serving as like a bridge from the old to the new, or newer from the from the kind of straight up rock band stuff to being more of a in, 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 an experimental studio band. Totally. Like if you put a gun in my hand and said, you know, you like. You know, Rubber Soul and Revolver are personified as two people stood in front of me, and you've got to shoot one of one, one of them. <laughs> I think I'd just shoot myself in the head. Like I think that'd be the, <laughs> that'd be the only. Option. Like I, it's so hard to choose between between the two because I think that would be the only ethical thing to do. Yeah, I feel just like that robot in RoboCop Two that just offs himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the wake of Egypt Station and the twenty-seven releases and re-releases. Would you actually have bought this copy of Abbey Road if you had an infinite supply of money? Or do you think, like, would you call it value for money, depending on which version of this edition you'd get? I think if you're looking for a remix, like, oh, I want the best sounding thing, I would say no, because I don't think it brings enough to the table to be like, oh, yeah, I'm getting so much more pleasure out of listening to straight up Abbey Road from this version mm. that 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 you couldn't get from any of the 10 other versions you might have but for to me these things are always more like collector's items like if you want it as a reference to be able to hear these cute quirky it's it's like sitting down and watching a documentary on the beatles versus just popping on an album and listening to it mm. so i think as a fan i always love picking up these things and hearing alternate takes and hearing that banter between the band members but I, i'm never usually the, the remix part of it usually doesn't grab me. Mm. I think that they kind of peaked with the 2009 remasters. That was everything. And that was a great, that was a great version. I think that was a big step up, but how much of a step from that is this? Well, it's like going from PlayStation two to PlayStation three. The gap is always smaller with each jump, you know? Yep. yep. And then the jump from PS3 to PS4 smaller. And you know, the PlayStation five, I haven't bought a new console in years now. I really don't feel the need to because the jumps are so minor and I'm still getting mm-hmm. enough satisfaction from all the old games. So to run that particular analogy, I really don't need to buy 
this Abbey Road, you know, I'm not gunning to buy Red Dead Redemption 2 with it or anything. So the need just isn't there. And it is online and available for free, all the stuff that you need to hear. And I guess it, I, I wish it just could have like come with like, oh, and by the way, there was a song from Abbey Road that was never released. Here it is. Bam. Something, something like that just really... Just just one song, because when McCartney released the Traveller's Edition, you know, there was four extra different versions of songs we'd heard before, but they were done live. And then we had four songs that were extra from the sessions. And yet, they didn't have the material for Abbey Road, and a lot of the songs that would be extras on this would have been extras on, say, the White Album and stuff like that, or on Let It Be. Just feels sparse. It just feels like they did the Sgt. Pepper one, and they're like, oh my god! This has been far too successful. We have to now do this every year. And we've got to scramble together another equally stunning anniversary set. And they just haven't done that. The White Album was a bit of a step down from Pepper, but it had more content on it. So that kind of balanced it out. It's still a very solid release. Here, we don't have the remixes and we don't have the slew of extra stuff. And it just feels very much like, oh, if you have the other ones, yeah, you can click this one and have it as well if you want. But if you don't want it, you're not particularly missing out. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's worth getting if you're a huge fan. And But like I said earlier, if, if you're considering getting this, are you going to be in, in an environment or a space where you can sit down and listen to this on the, on, the, on the equipment to be able to enjoy or notice the difference in the remixes? Oh, no, dude. I, dude I'm sure that people who could afford to live on Abbey Road today, you know, I'm sure they will love this album because you know they will have their manservants <laughs> prop up speakers for them in the in the precise they just bend position. Bend over on all fours, put the speaker on their back. Oh, Jillian, could you get the migrant <laughs> workers to bring us the new copy of Abbey Road today? I hope it's in the country, but b- before Brexit. <laughs> also, um, we haven't even had a uh, what's the new Mary Jane on this. I would have thought we would have got that. I was a little surprised. Uh, there is a. I seem to remember there's a part where he like. John Lennon's noodling in the background, you hear him kind of playing it or, or humming it or something, but there's not like actual full version. That will always go down as like the moment everyone goes, hang on, John writes some crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul McCartney gets the, uh, the, the the reputation for writing these kind of more silly songs, but John Lennon can can do it too. The other thing about the content that I was a bit surprised with, and this goes for the other ones as well, just the lack of physical media with them. Like the Traveller set for Paul McCartney, that came with postcards and maps and stuff like that. And with the interview with Kosh on uh, The Things We Said Today, great Beatles podcast with good friend of the show, Ken Michaels, they discussed that. And, you know, when Abbey originally came out, they were just so rushed to put the album out that they didn't have time for a poster or some little goodies and bits of cardboard and stuff. I think they miss a trick by not rewriting history here. You know, something like, this would have been the Abbey Road poster or the Abbey Road poster that you never got to put up in 1969. That seems like a bit of a, a side a sidestep as well. Yeah, well, it makes you think that they're just... I, I know that everyone involved in this is very much involved with the band and our people that of, of great integrity, but it does kind of lend the impression that they're just like, like you said, they're on a calendar. Oh, what are we going to do this year to make... 10 million dollars or whatever it is we're gonna release the beatles singles the yes. beatles singles are now finally available after 50 years oh i'm so happy they're... i'm so happy that that exists now they... oh because 
That was oh, all over God. the news this week. It was just like, who? I, I just, I was like, who cares? I'm saying this as a lifelong Beatles fan. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, who hasn't heard these songs before? Like, I don't need this, dude. I'm, I'm a guy whose career and income somewhat depends on reposting <laughs> things on Twitter, and I can't be asked. I, like, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want people to know this is coming out. I just, oh, it's. it's it's like in like the eighties when they're in like Beatles rarities, Beatles love songs. And it's yeah. like, stop it! Any Beatles fan worth his salt is going to make going to make a better compilation album than anyone else could ever possibly but make. People have to be buying these up like left and right because why would they keep doing it? And that's that I can't put myself in the mindset of someone who who would do it. I I have all of these songs, I have all of these albums. I don't need I don't need somebody else to tell me <laughs> to listen to this. These love songs in this order, if I wanted to, I could do it myself. It's Yeah. It's as mind-boggling as someone going to an Adele concert. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I can listen to one of her songs on the radio, but I couldn't sit there for two hours. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I thought you were going more with that. It's like it, when you said someone go to an Adele concert, I thought you were going to expound upon that. But the fact that you just left it at that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I'm not going to lie. And this may come across as sexist, and it's not. But when I go see an act, I expect them to move about on the stage a bit. I'm not saying dance. I'm not saying she's got to take off her kit and do Lady Gaga. I just want a bit of shuffling. Yeah, wanna... yeah, getting into it in some in some degree. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to see Deep Purple uh, tomorrow. Jeez, tomorrow. Um, oh wow. So. So yeah, then Ian Gillen is seventy-four years old, but I know he's—he's he's not going to be running across the stage, but he'll—he'll he'll be getting into it a little bit. Well, I, you're from the country across the pond. You know of NASCAR. No one goes to watch NASCAR to watch the race. <laughs> they, they go to watch the crash, right? I—the only reason I'll go to see a Rolling Stones concert is to see Mick Jagger break his hip <laughs> on stage. Like, go on, slip your cunt. Go on, do it. <laughs> Go on! I'm hoping, to a I'm hoping not to witness that tomorrow. But if I do see that tomorrow, I guess I will have oh. probably seen the last Deep Purple show. I'm very well aware of the fact that, like, when Paul was going up on that plinth to play Blackbird, all I could think of was, if he falls, he will die. <laughs> that, that was the I, I couldn't get into the song. I was I was probably a bit too drunk, and I was just thinking, Paul, be careful, mate. Like, I hope they've got a wire or something on you. Like, I can't. Yeah, I see, seeing some of this stuff is the part of the reason I'm really going tomorrow is just because you know I've, I'm going to do the meet and greet and have them sign some stuff, and I think it's you have to mention you do a podcast. You can't just not mention that. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to bring that up or to t-shirt, what, what, t-shirt. I don't have one though. <laughs> so um, I had a, an ex, and her sister bought me a great t-shirt for my birthday, and all it says is "Please ask me about my podcast." <laughs> I should say, please ask me about my Deep Purple podcast. Yeah. You'd have to ask. <sighs> See, if I met Paul, I know that I wouldn't have anything eloquent to say. It would be, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, kind of what I'm expecting for tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to probably be meeting Mark Lewison in, in like two oh. weeks. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's... Like, I want to say something like, so, you know, were there demos for the Abbey Road Sessions that, you know, blah, 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 blah. Is there stuff that could have gone on the album? But what I'm mostly just going to shout out is, please come on my podcast. <laughs> please. Well, yeah, it's it's it would be hard to meet Paul McCartney and not just turn into Chris Farley from that Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Man. 
that's all I would do. Uh, never underestimate how poorly Saturday Night Live references translate overseas. <laughs> this is this is something I have to tell all Americans. Um, the world. Oh, no. oh, Jimmy Fallon laughed again. <laughs> oh, Kate, Kate McKinnon's playing a quirky character. Are you familiar with the Chris Farley bit? Or um, is that is, is, is it with Paul McCartney? Or yeah, it's actually Paul. So Paul McCartney comes on the show and. Um... His his character, he's the Chris Farley is the interviewer, and and basically all he does is say, "Hey, remember when you did that song with John Lennon?" <laughs> and he's that 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 was cool. And Paul McCartney is like, "Yep, it's pretty much the the whole bit." But it's it's funny oh. because I think that's how we all feel like we act if we meet somebody famous. Oh, that does sound funny. I've definitely got to check. I've definitely got to check that out. That, that's, it's it's worth Saturday Night Live is pretty hit or miss, but that's. I mean, this is this skit's going back thirty years probably, but it's it's a uh, it's it's a classic. Well, I mean, it would be more appropriate to have Ringo saying, "We need more cowbell." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is probably true. Right, Abbey Road re-release. Bit of a hit and miss there, one dude, but. I'm glad that it exists purely just to have you on the show to chat about it. Any final thoughts on the album and how can we get in contact with you and find and find your stuff? Final thoughts on the album is I thought it was a lot of fun to listen to. I don't know if it's a, something you'd listen to again. I will say one thing I really, a couple things I really liked. The, I thought the, the strings only version of something was incredible to hear that. And I don't know that I really noticed or took took notice of the strings in that song before but hearing them by themselves is pretty amazing and then hearing because as an instrumental when you get to hear the acapella version on the beatles anthology was really interesting hearing the flip side of that so that was kind of cool those are the two highlights for me i would say if you're a huge beatles fan and you want something as a cool reference to listen to a couple of times have some fun go for it if you're looking for a revolutionary remix of the album it's you're probably not going to get your money's worth so as far as me, if you want to get in touch with uh, me or, or listen to our show, it's Deep Purple Podcast. You can find it on, on any podcast platform. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, most active on Twitter. And uh, we just kind of celebrate the brand band and all of its offshoots. If you're looking for really lengthy two-hour episode deep dives on individual albums, come check us out. If you're looking for short little uh, things, probably not the show for you. <laughs> Well, folks, I mean, if you're on my Twitter, you definitely know this guy because we pretty much like and retweet every one of our posts. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Because little podcasters got to look after each other, haven't we? Got to look after each other, got to give each other that exposure. <laughs> I, I don't know why I turned into Jiminy Glick there for some I reason. Know, I, yeah, I kind of liked it. I, I like Jiminy Glick, though, because he's the boy the way he was just there, you know. <laughs> Matthew Mason Morgan and Modine. And they love their papa. <laughs> I loved I loved Matthew and Modine. That was classic. <laughs> Mason more than Matthew and Modine. <laughs> Everyone, he's been Nathan. I've been Sam. This has been Paul or Nothing. Keep listening to Paul. Denny Lane's probably been playing us out already. Peace and love. Peace and love. Take care, everyone.